I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod. Where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and conjectures through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Daru people, traditional custodians of the land where I'm recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I'd also like to acknowledge Tangata Finawa of Tafanganui Atara where I'm recording today. Ah, oh, it's a beautiful Sunday. Is it beautiful where you are? We've got sunshine. It's not too bad. It's sunny. It was briefly a little bit of rain, but it's gone away again. So I will take it. What sparked joy for you? I went to see um, Emily at the Roxy with my friend Hannah because they do these Roxy retrospective screenings of various films. And so we went to see Emily and it was so lovely. I bought us all these macarons to sneak in because I'm like, let's have French dessert while we watch our French film. So they were delicious. Yeah, it was just really lovely. It's like such a wonderful film. And, you know, it came out in 2001. Yeah. So it's quite a different world. And I think it holds up really well. It's just a really lovely story, you know, about finding your place and finding your means of expression, not trying to change yourself to fit into the world, but just finding a way to make the world work for you. So I think it's just really, it's a really lovely message. And that was just a nice, nice evening. I love that movie. It's not one I watch a lot, but every time I watch it, I find something new to love about it. It's such a love letter to Paris as well. So it feels very Mm. thematically linked to the pod. Yes, exactly. I thought that as well. Um, It (laughs) takes place in Montmartre, of course, but this is in the Latin Quarter. But you know, whatever. It's all the, it's all good. It's all good. Love Paris. It's all Paris. I don't know enough about Paris to know anything where anything is. When I came home from the cinema, I immediately went on this like short term apartment rental in Paris and started looking at apartments. Like, I still just, I really just want to spend a month to three months in Paris, just living in an attic room, eating all the baguettes and writing and just doing that really bohemian cliche of a thing. Falling in love with a dancer from the Moulin Rouge and then she dies tragically. From tuberculosis, yeah. Yes, yes. This is this is your future. I can see it. I think you're gonna have to make time for that. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, what sparked joy for you? Uh, this morning I got up a bit late. I had a bit of a rough night's sleep, so I got up a little bit late. My daughter had her final soccer gala day, but I didn't go because I've done a lot of soccer, so I thought I would sit that one out. So I mm-hmm. stayed home with my little guy, and we just played Lego together all morning. And at one point, I was put back into kindergarten and marooned in the poisonous Hawaiian jungle. So I had to fight my way through the poison jungles of Hawaii. Apologies to any Hawaiians out there. My son has obviously never been to Hawaii and does not know that your jungles are not poisonous, but he really thinks that Hawaii has poison jungles. So I was thrown back into kindergarten and marooned in a poison jungle and I had to fight my way out by using the pusher that he invented with his Lego very slowly to push the bushes over so I could get out. And it was just really fun. <laughs> I haven't had a good play with him for a while. Like just actually sat down and let him lead the play. Cause I'm always like, right, we're going to do something educational and enriching or I'm driving mm. you to some activity and we'll talk in the car. So it was nice to just let him be in charge. Oh, that sounds delightful. It was really cute. <laughs> He's so clever with all the things he comes up with. He's been on a numbers kick lately, so he's learned his entire times table and he keeps telling me facts about them. He often will get hyper-focused on the TV show and now it's a show called Number Blocks, which is actually pitched at much younger kids, but because they teach you the times table, I'm like, I don't care if it's preschool stuff. So he's learning factors without knowing that he's learning factors, which is amazing. Wow, good work. This week, we're reading chapters 30 to 34 through the theme of attraction. So do you have a story for us? Oh, I do. Well, I wanted to talk a little bit about what attraction means to me because I think I experience it a little differently, but I never really realized that when I was growing up because 
A, I had no idea that I wasn't straight. Like, I grew up completely unaware that I was queer. And B, I actually find attraction really difficult to quantify because I don't experience attraction on, like, one cohesive level. It's two very distinct things for me. So the first part of attraction is looking at a person, like, boy, girl, non-binary, I don't discriminate. I'm an equal opportunity ogler. And being like, wow, they're hot. But that's, like, <laughs> really superficial. And it, it's almost like... I do register it and I am like, yeah, very attractive, cute, love what they're doing, love what they're working with. But then there's the other part, which is like the bit where I get to know someone and like the more that they're my friend, the more beautiful they become and the more like wonderful they are. And I think that that's because I'm demi-romantic. So I don't really fall in love with anybody until I've fallen into like super solid like first. It's just why I'm always like, you should marry your best friend because like literally I don't understand people who are married to people they're not best friends with. Like I don't get that as a concept Mm -hmm. because my husband is my best friend. Like I want to do life with him the most of all the people that's why we're married so I think that attractiveness is not necessarily it shouldn't only be based on the physical but for me it usually starts with like being attracted to someone's brain and their personality and then it can sort of from there grow into being attracted to the physical because it all becomes part of the whole for me I do think that it's really hard when you grow up kind of expecting things to be I don't know like you you know you're gonna marry a guy you're gonna have kids like that's that's just sort of the norm that we're given and it didn't really give me a lot of opportunities to think about like what I find attractive about everyone like I often don't know where that line is and that's something I've heard a lot of queer women say so I just wonder if attraction is actually something that we need to worry about as much I mean I know that it exists I know that that like frisson exists for so many people but then I see friends you know I've got friends who are demi demisexual and they have the most amazing marriages and relationships relationships and they're just they don't get that crushy feeling ever so I don't know if attraction is really anything that we can quantify or if we need to put so much weight on it Mm, interesting that said the most attractive quality in anybody is like kindness and a willingness to help and also a good grasp of pun-based humor so I guess if I had to pick a type it would be that (laughs) just somebody who's willing to be kind and do some work and be helpful and knows their way around a pun Mm. But that's just me. It's just how I experience it. It's so interesting because there is this expectation that this is a very common thing that everyone just has in common. And then when you think about it, it's actually there's so, you know, it's a spectrum and everyone Mm. has their own experience. And we grow up thinking that it is a universal thing and it's just not. I've spoken to you about my own experience and sort of unpacking that because like I've started working through the fact that I am somewhere on the aromantic scale, but not Mm. because I'm not attracted to people, but because... I don't have the desire to be in a relationship. I don't have the desire to like date or be with someone. You know, I have friends who if they're not like if they're single, they're on dating apps because they want that. So they're constantly looking for someone. Whereas I don't have that at all. Like I don't have the compulsion. I don't feel the need. It's baffling to me that you would want to go through (laughs) that. So I'm always just like, what is happening? But I do have the attraction factor. So I have met people where there's an instant spark, like instant attraction, but it's very superficial. Like, and this Mm -hmm. is where this gets interesting because I'd be very happy to like hook up with someone and then I'd be like, I never want to see you again. Good day. Yeah. <laughs> or man like have yes. a nice life it's just interesting it's an interesting thing to puzzle through i see you completely on this and i think you're a bit like me you just want to be airdropped past the first three months of any crushy weirdness and get right into like we already know each other we're already good mates we already respect and care for each other we already know each other's values you just like you know i don't want to do that this is exhausting to me it's the admin. idea of 
Yes. Yeah. yeah. But like having to feel out someone else to know if they're going to be a good person, like if they're going to be a good person for and with you. The crux of it is the best relationships of my life are the ones where I feel like I'm being my best self with that person. And in whatever way that is, like I'm a different best self with you than I am with my husband, than I am with my friend Sarah. Like it's all very different. But like I still feel like with all of those relationships that are important to me, the people that I love and that love me, I'm like, I want to be better. I want to be a good person. I think maybe it's because we both hate being vulnerable though. (laughs) a little bit yeah (laughs) to get to that stage and you have to make yourself vulnerable in those first three months and it's for someone that you don't know and don't necessarily trust and they could really hurt you and that's the bit where we're like no thank you time out we will see ourselves out and if it's like a perfect stranger you're never gonna see again who cares like exactly story exactly yeah it's someone you're gonna see all the time you're gonna be like oh no they know this about me and they're gonna think about it sometimes worst yeah no I I like to be an enigma I mean I've been in my current role at work for almost three years and there's still people there I don't know their names they know who I am (laughs) but they don't know anything about me and it's just it's quite weird when you think about it and I'm like no do not talk to me do not perceive me (laughs) I am the knight well I'll do our chapter summary because I actually have a good segue into attraction that I want to talk to that speaks directly to your story so I'll do the summaries Anna is happy to be back in beautiful Paris, but is astonished to realize that she loves, capital L, loves Sinclair. This causes her no end of anguish as she tries to keep a lid on her feelings, but struggles with knowing he's still with Ellie. Anna's birthday arrives and everyone takes her out for drinks. Things get a little bit sexy, but then they also get a little bit messy. Well, a lot messy when Anna confronts Etienne. Um, So I wanted to talk specifically about... How great I think it is that when you are attracted to someone and you or you like them, hmm. they become more and more attractive to you. So yes, when you're in love with someone, they just become the most beautiful person in your eyes. And you might not even have thought that when you first met, but the more time you spend with someone, the more beautiful they become. And I just really believe that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Like this is a magical thing that we as human beings possess that like we can do yeah. this like this is why you should never write someone off if you're like oh i'm not sure maybe they're not like as hot as i want them to be like if you really like them they will become as hot as you need them to be <laughs> and honestly i will say if you're with someone long term everything's gonna fall hair's gonna fall out more hair's gonna grow in weird places anyway beauty is so transitory so attractiveness has to be built on more than just oh they look great in a swimsuit i mean that's like a bonus but that really is just like the icing on the cake your whole life is the cake you have to like the cake too yeah it can't just be superficial right because that's yeah it's a transient thing one of the things that I find so sad is that society has men placing so much emphasis on women's attractiveness that often women who get breast cancer and get mastectomies, like their husbands leave them because they can't, they don't see them as people with their body being not intact anymore. It makes me like it's the most heartbreaking thing, I think. I saw a TikTok today of a girl who was talking about being single and she got this message from someone being like, but you're so hot, how can you be single? And she's like, this is a mistake that men make. They think that yeah. just because you're conventionally attractive that it's somehow easier for you to date, but in a lot of ways it's actually harder because a lot Mm. of men just want to be with you not because they care about you but because you're just superficially attractive and also because they want other men to be jealous of the fact that they are with you so they don't really care about you they don't bother to get to know you it's all just like some macho game and I'm like "Mm, fair point 
I think I'm adorable, but I'm not like a conventionally hot person. So I can really trust when people are like, you are beautiful. Because I'm like, oh, you're seeing me the way that your heart sees me. And I really love that. Yeah. I can also say for like my kids, like when you really love someone, even not, not romantic sense, like I think my kids are so beautiful. And even when they're like disgusting and snotty and they've got like tears rolling down their faces because they're miserable or whatever. I'm just like, you are so beautiful. How did I make something so beautiful? And it's 100% because I love them that I think they're the most beautiful kids on the planet. I mean, also objectively they are, but because <laughs> I love them, I know that. You're right. When you love someone, the more you see them, the more you're with them, they become more attractive to you. Yeah. Absolutely. Or less, I guess. Because it can go the other way. Like maybe you're dating someone because they particularly appeal to you aesthetically or whatever. And then they the do something like they're really, yeah, I was just going to say they mean <laughs> to serve a staff and immediately you're like, uh-oh. Dropped. You're dropped. Or there's the ick, right? Like you just get the ick because of a way they, I don't know, opened a door yeah. or something and you're suddenly like, uh-uh, unsubscribe, time out, gotta go. I love the concept of the ick because the ick is like not a thing I really experience because we all have those terrifying, crushing, embarrassing moments and I'm just like, yeah, we've all we've all been icked and icked before. I don't put too much stock in it, but it really is a thing. This is why I sent you that article and I was like, what the heck is this? Why are people talking about this? I had no idea it was like a deal breaker for some people. Oh, Yeah. No, and it's been around for years, years and years and years. My friend actually dated a guy here. She met on Tinder and we used to refer to him as the Eck. I'm like, how is the Eck? <laughs> oh, no. It obviously did not work. Yeah. Some of the things in that article were so funny, like, um, and I'll have to link it in the show notes, but like running with a backpack on, I'm like, what? If you're trying to catch your bus and you've got your backpack on, what are you supposed to do? Power walk? Oh, yeah. Every, I guess everyone has their different thresholds. And that's what I love. Like, Seinfeld is just one big show about Jerry having the ick <laughs> over various things and George having the ick. I'm like, George, you have not a leg to stand on about, like, not liking yeah. women. I think they all are in love with themselves, most of all. Yeah, it's narcissists, right? Yeah. And Elaine's the only one who really cops to it, right? She's like, no, I'm not going to waste time on this guy. Is he sponge worthy? <laughs> so good. Okay, so let's talk about attraction because the first two chapters of this section, so Anna has arrived back in Paris and then she's seeing Sinclair with the metaphorical sunbeam coming through the clouds shining upon him and angel oh. choirs are singing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just like just an exercise in attraction. Oh, she's so bowled over. I, I love how she's like physically reeling. But I also love how with the knowledge of the attraction, like it's not just the attraction itself because she knows she's attracted to him. It's the knowledge that she really cares for him that like paralyzes her. She doesn't know what she's going to say. She doesn't know what she's going to do. She feels awkward. Every touch is so loaded with meaning. And then she calls him Etienne and that's like a big deal. And oh my gosh, the feelings. I mean, I love that trope. I love, oh my gosh, they're using the first name trope. Like, I'm yep. here for it. Big fan. Yep. Big, big fan. It's the Adam instead of Parrish, right? Oh, chef's Yeah, or the Simon instead of Snow. I just think it's so obvious, though. Like, no one else calls him Etienne. So her just suddenly starting to call him Etienne is like, what are you doing? And <laughs> what mm. are you doing? This is not subtle. Yeah. And it's kind of like a pet name, but it's more like a secret code. But it is how, like, I love... The, that she decides to call him that because it's how he introduced himself. She's like, no, he's Etienne, Etienne from the first night we met. Like, she's calling back to that when he was like, I'm introducing myself to you as I want to be known. And she started calling him Sinclair because everyone else does. Mm -hmm. But now she's like, no, we have something different. It's more. I'm going to call you Etienne. Like, it's more intimate. I love how she breaks up his name in three syllables. Like she says on page 253, my feet trip in three syllables. Etienne, Etienne, Etienne. Which to me is just kind of like a heartbeat. Like if you mm. say that slowly, it's like a... 
How do we feel about Josh? Is he being a good mate here or is he, you know, should he be calling Sinclair on his behaviour or is he being supportive? Well, I think Josh is a nihilist and not the fun kind like you are. I think he's a nihilist in the like, screw everything, do what you want, who cares, man. I also think that he knows that Anna said that nothing happened, even though he was awake for that conversation. Mm. I would guess that he's canceling Sinclair to like not act on anything. But Anna, by the end of this section, Anna lays all of her cards out and she's like, why are you still with Ellie? Like, why is this still, why are you still letting this go on? Mm. And I think that that's a really important conversation for them to have. I, I do, yeah. So I think Josh is aware and I think he's just kind of like, you got to do what you got to do, man. Yeah. He's just not interested in anything but not being in school, I think. It's really hard for him at this point. He's got some he's got other things going on. Yeah. Um, will you indulge me for one second? Because I literally cracked up laughing. Page two fifty-eight. I'm gonna read this section. If it's what I think it is, I'm also going to laugh. <laughs> Honestly, yes. I could not stop laughing. So she says, she's thinking about Etienne and Ellie together and she says, her fingers in his hair. Anytime I'm alone, my mind wanders back to night night. I take it further. She touches his chest. I take it further. His bedroom. He slips off her dress. Their lips lock. Their bodies press. And oh my God, my temperature rises and my stomach is sick. Those are just the lyrics to Mr. Brightside. <laughs> I had the same thought and it cracked me up too. I was like, um, I feel like this might be an homage to to the killers oh my gosh like come on those are the lyrics to mr bryce they are i saw a tweet the other day that said that it's just millennials of sweet caroline and i was like how dare you <laughs> look it's a great song touching his chest and now my stomach is sick yep yeah, yeah. And i'm also a crab <laughs> i heard someone say that the veronica's untouched was the female version of Mr. Brightside and now I can't unhear that as being true. Mm, it's a good song. I do like Untouched. Even the video is the same. I actually really like The Killers and they, when they did Miss Atomic Bomb, is that the one? Where it's kind of like the answering, it's animated it's an animated music, music video and it's sort of a continuation of the Mr. Brightside video. It's quite great. Mm. Big fan. Mm. I haven't watched any video clips in a long time. It's all Spotify now. At least they put lyrics mm. on. That's been so great. Except when I'm running and I'm trying to read the lyrics and then I fall over like a moron. <laughs> we suffer for our art, okay? It's fine. <laughs> I need to know what they're saying. Otherwise, I'll get it wrong and sing it wrong forever. Although singing lyrics wrong is also one of my favorite things. I just think it's so funny. Oh, I sing them wrong all the time. Uh, what's that Eskimo Joe song? I don't understand the point of fingers. Red fingernails, black wine. <laughs> yeah. Black fingernails, red wine. <laughs> one way, the other way. I don't know. You know. That one. Also yeah. a great song. Actually, I love Eskimo Joe. That's something that's on rotation in our house a lot because Simon really likes it. Um, There's a lot of how much Anna finds Etienne physically attractive, but I like his little acts of service for her. I love that he does these things for her. Like, he gets her the left-handed notebook on page 268, and she goes, No one ever remembers I'm left-handed. A lump rises in my throat. It's perfect. And it's, like, really lovely. <laughs> it's really nice. It's very considerate. And she also notices things about him. Like, she knows when he bites his pinky, it means something different to when he bites his thumb. Like, they notice each other, right? It's a real yeah. noticing. There's a lot of observation. Like, in that way that when you're young, you can really get deep into the obsession, which she super is. And I'll talk about that in a bit. But they definitely have that, like, looking at each other all the time, sussing each other out, figuring out what makes the other person tick. And he says this really perplexing thing. And I want to get your take on this. So on page 269, and he says, I don't think anyone who knows you would say it's easy to earn your good review. I don't know if this is a compliment or not, or if it's like, no, you don't just hand out like smiles for everyone. Like, I don't know if that, I don't actually, I could not actually 
figure that out what he meant by that so what's your read on it I didn't I struggled with that as well because I don't feel like she withheld her affection or her attention from him or anyone in that group right she was always Mm. quite accommodating so for him to say that is it's a bit weird like if she was reticent to be friends with him I would have understood it a bit more but the fact that she you know she wasn't but maybe he's just seeing the fact that as we've noted that she is very judgy and she is very mean yeah so maybe that's what he means because I also thought it was really interesting and this wasn't my tangential when she talks about in that same section she explains that she wants to be a film critic because she likes expressing her opinions but does she like she never verbalizes her opinions she only writes them on this blog or she like has an internal monologue which is incredibly judgy but it's internal like she doesn't express it so I'm like do you like to express your opinion I don't really know if I would have described her as someone who expresses her opinion freely maybe it's just that that's the only outlet she has for that yeah I mean I definitely go middle of the road so friendly nice and cheerful but then like I'll text you and be like what are the point of crocs I don't get them please explain I will do all of my judging to my friends because I'm like Tell me. Make me understand. I don't get it. I was like, why are you asking me? I hate them. Burn them with (laughs) fire. They won't burn. They're plastic. They're just a blight on humanity. But I thought you liked Crocs. Do you not have Crocs? Who has Crocs? I do not have Crocs. No, I am not a Crocs person. Hmm. I have Birkenstocks and I have saltwater sandals. Um, yeah, no, it's interesting that he says that about Anna. I noted that as well. And I feel like, doesn't Josh give him him a a weird look? Doesn't someone give him a weird look? What page was that on? Two six. It's after the left-handed notebook, but before they go out and get drunk. And it's it's Josh goes yawn, he says, not actually yawning. I think that's what he does. Yeah, which I feel like is him trying to divert the conversation or trying to intercede. That's something because I would Anna do. Because when... Anna also didn't know what he was talking about and was like, what are you, what? What does that mean? Hmm. Interesting. Like, I don't know if that's a compliment or not. I don't think it is, but I also think that he respects that about her. Like, it's a compliment to him. Yeah, because he he has this persona of being really easygoing and everyone's friend, and, like, yeah. she describes him as flirty. I don't know if he necessarily is flirty. I think he's just friendly, but... She's a very flawed uh, narrator, remember? Everyone likes Toph, except for everybody who doesn't. Yeah, let's talk about Toph, because, like, now that he's out of the picture, she can have this realisation, but she also talks about when she thinks of him, she feels shame. She Like, she, she yeah. describes it as shame. Which I think is just embarrassment. Like, she's just embarrassed that she was in that situation, that she allowed herself to be put in that situation, that Bridget put her in that situation. Like, that kind of embarrassment is so visceral. Yeah. It's it's not great. And, like, I feel I want her to be able to let go of it, mostly. Like, I just want to be like, just close the door on that, you know? Give her some space and time. She already knew even going in she was like excited for the possibility of something but then like it was taken away and she's like but what would we really have right a summer and then i go away to school so she already knew so really she's getting over it pretty quickly which is fair enough keep referencing sex and city i don't actually watch the show but i do remember a few things about it and one of the things i remember is charlotte's rule that you have half the time that you were with the person to get over the relationship so she Mm. dated someone for three weeks and took a week and a half to get over it although i've heard the opposite that it's a a what is it? A month for every year or something like that? I don't know. I can't remember. I was talking to a friend who'd been through a separation and he told me that when he left, like when he when they when they actually separated, that, that day he told himself it's going to be two years. And then he was looking at his calendar for some reason and he realized that two years and two days after that date had passed, he had gone on the first date with his current partner. And I was like, that is so freaking cute. <laughs> I love that you knew that and you just had sort of intuitively found someone at the on the right timeline it was just really cute oh i've googled it and a psychologist says that it takes around six months for every year that you're with someone oof 
that's a long time. Mm. That's a really long time. But I guess it depends. It depends on how good the relationship was, right? Like if you checked out in your relationship and you actually mentally broke up with them quite some time previously, the way that Sinclair and Ellie have broken up in all but (laughs) name. I wonder at this for Ellie. Like I wonder why she's staying. It's not good for her. It can't be good for her. Maybe because she doesn't want to be the bad guy. Like he's the one with the sick mom. She can't break up with him when someone, you, you can't do that to someone. Yeah, true, but also, like, he's not there. He's not spending time with her. And is actually literally tallying up the days, and she goes, I'm winning, which is weird and Pacing. definitely a sign of her youth that she's comparing it. It's not a competition, Anna. It's not. I know it feels like it, but it's really not. I feel like this attraction, it does make Anna more mean. It does, because she doesn't have anything to hold on to. Because she's, like, talking about Ellie. Yeah, and she's like, if I didn't like Ellie before, it's nothing compared to how I feel now. Ellie's done nothing. No. Like, she's actually done nothing. She's just existing, and she's having these really horrible thoughts about her. But she is self-aware, because she says, it's, turns out I'm not a nice person. Yeah. But then she's really mean about Meredith as well. And Paige, when she's drunk, page 272, she says, like, you know, she fires me a dirty look, but I don't care. He's more my friend than hers. Which made me realize that Anna is, like, really immature in how she views her friendships. Like, she wants to own her friends. Like, she wants to be the mm-hmm. only one who has these relationships with Shawnee, with Bridget, with Toph. Like, she doesn't want to share her friends. Like, it's very, very young and immature. Yeah, yeah. It's that, oh, we can't all be in a friend group. It's like, no, this is my friend. And I know mm. that she doesn't think that way when she's sober. So I think it's one of those, like, you're drunk and you're just your most horrible self things. I think she's really nasty when she's drunk. I really hate that section so much because she's so unkind. Mm. yeah but she is unkind we know this like we know she's judgy so this is just like letting her worst self come to the fore and look sometimes it just happens especially when you're already in a heightened emotional situation with someone like she is with Sinclair she's attracted to him she can't act on it now she's drunk her inhibitions are lower you do things that you regret later and you say things that you regret which is interesting because that is the point. Like up until now, she's kind of had plausible deniability. Like, there's been no, they haven't acted on it. They haven't done anything wrong. Like she's just kind of, she's only recently dis- admitted to herself that she's in love with him. But the, the the sexy dancing is the crossing of the line. And I say that as someone who has crossed this particular line myself. So this is the moment where you tip into, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, now you're doing something you're not supposed to be doing territory. This is definitely wrong. Like, you can't grind up on someone who has a girlfriend, even if you love them, because it's just not on. And I would argue that it's still mostly th- it's still mostly yeah. with him, because he's the one with the girlfriend. She is not the one with the girlfriend. But yeah. you also know that he has a girlfriend, so you can't absolve yourself from that. I think this is one of the few books that is so messy, but I'm actually like, I do understand everyone's motivations, and I get it. Like, I get it. It does feel very genuine, even if you're like, Stop being so hysterical, Anna. Stop being such a pushover, Sinclair. Like, I get both of their positions and I really understand it. And even Ellie, to an extent, like, Meredith has this really beautiful moment where she's like, well, they're both really careful people. Like, Ellie spent all this time researching schools and she still ended up, like, three neighborhoods away. Risk averse. Very risk averse. Like, why change it if it's not terrible? Like, the house has to be on fire for you to leave it. And it's just not on fire yet. It's just kind of damp and unpleasant and murky. Which is good, because this is a point I wanted to had discussed next to in my marginalia. But it's page 262 when Anna says, Why are people so afraid to leave a relationship, yes. even if they know it's a bad one? So let us discuss. Why are people so afraid to leave yeah. relationships? <laughs> because of comfort, I think. Like, you're comfortable, so you're sort of like, why upset the boat? Maybe this will pass. And what's that, what's that phrase? Sunk cost fallacy? Like, you, 
you just yeah, because you've spent yeah. a lot of time doing something you don't want to like let go of the effort you've put in I've definitely seen this with people that I know who've left like they've left big relationships and like they've been really long term and they've left and they've been like but we were together for so long and I'm like yes but it wasn't working for a lot of that time too like you can't keep trying to make it work if it's not going to mm. I feel like when I'm done with something I'm just done and I just sort of like abandon it and move on to whatever else is next I will grieve it but I don't linger in it you just have to do the whole like we're cut off we're not talking it's done no more like that's the only way to really get past it otherwise I everybody's mm. still my best friend and I still love them I think Etienne is just really mm. scared of the big feelings that he has for Anna because they're huge feelings and he really doesn't want to hurt Ellie yeah. and he also doesn't really want to go through the mess of a breakup he doesn't want to be the bad guy well, yeah, and who wants to dump someone that cares about them and is trying to be helpful? Like, you just feel like you're a jerk. And, like, they have this history and they were probably each other's firsts and that's a big deal. And, well, it's a big deal to some yeah. people. It's interesting. I feel like sometimes it's just, like, because you don't want to hurt someone, you're going to stick around. That ends up causing more hurt in the long run. It's sort of yeah. like you just have to accept there's no way for you to extricate yourself without yeah. hurting someone's feelings. So, like, just rip off that band-aid solution to this where someone isn't going to get hurt so just yeah you have to either both commit to the same level of working through it together to build a better foundation or you just have to go look it's it's done and call it this was yeah. something i thought was youthful was that anna's just like i can just smoosh the people together like barbie dolls and make them kiss like oh this person should be dating josh they're so much better together and i recognize that this is a call forward to the third book in the series so i'm just flagging that now but she's talking about isla and josh and i'm like mm, i don't think anna knows isla enough to make that call yeah i do like how realistic this story is it does feel very realistic it feels realistic in its messiness but also in its realistic relationship yeah. and also just like it's not sexless which i really like like it's not explicit or anything it's still a ya novel but it's like it doesn't shy away from that which is quite unusual yeah, i like that anna's not ready for that but she thinks about it all the time which is very much me as a teenager yeah and also like josh and rashmi you know they're fighting yeah. all the time but they're also like hooking up so it's kind of like cool good for you guys enjoy yourself <laughs> We acknowledge that kids do this, which, yes, teenagers do have <laughs> sexual relationships and, like, pretending that they don't doesn't actually help or support them in any way. So, like, maybe let them know what happens and, like, what you can expect and, like, maybe talk them through protection. That's the only way to do it. Like, it's your body, your choice, absolutely, and consent is very important. But also, like, it's not a moral thing to or to not. It's just a personal decision. It's handled really well, I think. It's just like a, f a fact of life. It's just a thing that happens. It's not like overly glamorous. Because a lot of teen shows, TV shows in particular, <laughs> when you watch them, you're like, what is happening with these so-called teenagers? Yeah. This is all very glamorous. So, you know, that's one of the things yeah. I love about sex education as well, is because it is so messy and so kind of realistic. Yeah. Oh, wow. I need to get caught up on that show. I think I'm halfway through the second season. Um, the other one I was thinking of that everyone talks about as being like really glamorous is Euphoria. And I'm yes. like, that doesn't seem like it's realistic. It's quite relevant to my uh, day my day job. So I'm always like, what is <laughs> happening? Why is everybody doing drugs like on TV? Stop doing drugs on TV. Mm. I like messy actual teens being messy actual teens because this is what I needed when I was a teen. It's interesting because I feel like it, there's a level of voyeurism to it, I guess, but also this this shock value. Like people are trying to make mm. these shocking TV shows with like these themes and stuff. But then I had Skins, which was quite controversial when it came out for what it yeah. was presenting. But it still felt really real. Like even though they were having these raging parties and stuff, it was still very like kind of gritty. 
in a way yeah. in a realistic way not in a shocking way and you compare yeah. that to euphoria where i'm like I, this is just so next level wild no skins was great and i think it did it filled this need of like kids doing things that felt adult but they were still messed up kids right mm. uh okay tangent sorry i got distracted <laughs> we're putting this in context of other teen relevant media which i think is like this is what it is it is the most teen of anything we've read so far mm. but i've like i'm really starting to appreciate it more that it's just the way that they are with each other the little bits of what you see shine through like because at one point you know she's smiling at him and looking at his smile and he's like don't look at my teeth they're weird and she's like no mine are weird and he's like i like your smile and she wants to say she likes this too but she doesn't have the courage and i'm like you should just say it just say it it's such a nice compliment i love hearing people liking my smile because i don't like it at all so i love when people say you have a great smile i'm like thank you my dad Aww. agrees and that's why i never had braces you have a beautiful smile. Well, thank you. My son will need braces, so I've told him that when he gets them, I'll get them as well. So I'm like, if we're going to be in pain, we're going to be in pain together. Maybe I'll get them with you. We can all be braces buddies. Uh, train tracks. <laughs> she's got it so bad, Anna, though. Like, that moment when she's talking about all the things she loves about him, and she's like, I love handing him his backpack when class is over because then my fingers smell like him for the next ten minutes. Like, woof, what are you doing? Why are you sniffing your fingers? But it's so what is real. Happening? I love that she just finds so much comfort in all the, the things that make him him. And it's not that, like, that fanficy trope of, like, you know, citrus and sandalwood and that undeniable essence of him. It's just like, yeah, his grubby backpack. I love it. I'm here for it. <laughs> <laughs> what does this backpack smell like? I can't even imagine what the smell is. Like, I don't understand. It's his shampoo. It's his... On his backpack? Yeah, because it's right up against your hair, right? But why like... would that transfer to your fingers? That doesn't make any sense. Like, she's literally... You're just handing it over. That is so little context. But it's context. the top part that sits on your hair. I don't right? know. I mean, I wear a backpack to work every day, and I'm pretty sure it doesn't have a smell. So, I don't know. Maybe I'll get someone at work to sniff it, and we can test this. Does it smell like me? Smell me and then smell my backpack. Tell me if it's the same. Like, unless someone is smoking, like, that is the only smell that I associate with guys that I liked. <laughs> it's like the smell of cigarettes. Which is a very, like, pungent smell. Like, it gets into everything. So that is oh, a yeah. very easy thing to, like, associate with someone. Yeah, that's my least favorite smell. One of my deal breakers was you can't smoke because my parents both smoked and I hated it. I like that she is certain that he likes her in the same way. I like that she knows he's that they're best friends that's something that mm. i really love like that on page 250 she says sinclair has morphed from this confusing thing into my closest friend and i know he feels the same way i don't have to ask him i know it like i know my own reflection mm. i think that's really like that's the solid foundation like whatever fights they have they still both feel closest to each other yeah my tension comes from him being unwilling to recognize that things with ellie have changed sufficiently that he needs to end that relationship yeah okay so this is another point i wanted to discuss page 274 mm. he's having a freak out because ellie's flatmate roommate whatever has seen them dancing and so anna's followed him out into the streets and she's like who cares and sinclair says who cares ellie's freaked out about you as it is she hates it when we're together and now she'll think something is going on so he's been talking to ellie about anna or she's been yeah. asking who do you spend all your time with I, yeah. how did this even come up i don't know but at least he's being honest about the fact that anna's his friend i guess like he's not hiding her completely maybe because he was drunk in anna's room on halloween and like very messy and awful mm. and ellie was like oh i'm here i'm here and he was like why is ellie here i don't want her here like that would have tipped her off pretty big 
Like at that time, when we read that section, you and I were both like, mm, is she really that hateful? But I think I'd be pretty cheesed off if I were in that situation, collecting my longtime boyfriend from some random girl's dorm room. I'd feel a bit annoyed, especially if he said, why is she here? This isn't right. Make her go. <laughs> like, no. mm, Yeah, that's not great. They both are not good drunks, I think, Anna and Etienne, so... But yeah, also that he says, you know, Ellie's freaked out about you as it is. I normally am very anti this trope of girlfriends yeah. hating on the female best friend, friend whatever. Yeah. But Ellie's not wrong that no. this is more than just friendship. She's absolutely right to be worried because they are falling in love with each other. Like it's already happened for Anna and I'm sure it's already happened for Etienne. And it's just really frustrating that he won't actually break up with Ellie. Because this is the thing, like, if they've already had a conversation about this, this is already a point of contention, a point of argumentation, mm -hmm. whatever, then there has been ample opportunities for him to go, actually, you know what, yeah, this isn't right. So he's just being a coward. Yeah. Well, and, you know, Anna does call him on it. She does call him on it. She says, why? Why won't you leave her? Just tell me. Just answer. And he can't, he, like, he says he, he doesn't say anything. She's like, fine, we're done. I don't want to talk to you about it. See you later. Good night. And then he says, I don't want to be alone. And she's like, but you weren't. Like, you weren't alone. And he is a coward. I think you're right. There are no winners in this situation. Be nice to people. Yeah. Ellie deserves better. And also Meredith deserves better. Oh, Meredith. Doing crunches just for fun. <laughs> that was in my tangential marginalia is that she's like the MVP because she's just doing crunches in her little cashmere sweater and soccer shorts. And I'm like, that's cute. I love her. You go tall girl. She's amazing. She's living her best life. And she keeps getting like just completely shunted aside by her friends. They should really be trying harder and they're not. Yeah, they forget about her. She's like the third wheel. I feel like she does everything to hold the group together and no one appreciates her. Mm. I think she and Rashmi have a good thing, but like Josh complicates Rashmi's emotions and Josh is checked out of everything and Sinclair knows that Meredith likes him and just is ignoring it because like we've discussed, he's a coward. Yeah. And Anna gets this weird, like, she has dibs, but, like, also, no, he's more my friend than hers. Like, she can't reconcile. Which is a recent change, because she's been quite consistent in how she's thought about Meredith and Sinclair, and she's been very considerate and stuff about that. But in this section, she's just like, he's more my friend than hers. Like, so this is a, quite a big shift in the way that she thinks about him and thinks about Meredith, which is very unkind. Yeah, and it's not fair because Meredith hasn't actually done anything. Like, the worst she can be accused of doing is, like, occasionally being hurt or wounded or being a little bit cheesed off. Which wouldn't be an issue if Anna was just honest with her and actually had a conversation. What she's doing to Meredith is the same as what Bridget did to her. So she's actually being a massive hypocrite. Yeah, 100%. Oh, so frustrating. Um, did you have anything else for tangential marginalia? Um... I love that she's taking a bit more ownership of Paris and feeling more at home. Like, it really stood out to me on page 250 where she said, as I stroll down my street, like it's her street now. And then when she's leaving the Pantheon with the boys, she talks about it being cool and white and glittering in the most beautiful city in the world. I just kind of love that. And she's like, I'm with two attractive, intelligent, funny boys and I'm grinning ear to ear. I kind of love that she's feeling a bit more at home and that she's taking ownership of that. Yeah. 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 I love that too. I thought that the attraction of Paris has finally landed for her. Mm. You know, she talks about it being beautiful, the you know, my beautiful city, the gorgeous um Saint Etienne du Mont Cathedral. Like she's just so happy to be home. She loves the Pantheon, she loves the streets, she loves the mom and pop Basset Hound Theatre. Yeah. 
she tries her French out with him, which I really love too. Like she's like really becoming a person who inhabits the city. Yeah, she's not afraid to take the metro anymore. All these mm. things, right? Like she's, and that's you know that youthful kind of growing up as well. She's getting over these things and she's finding her own feet more, which is great. Love to see it. Yeah, and like she has that moment of like, I'm almost not scared to ride the metro. Wait, that can't be right. Like, but actually it is because you're home and you're happy to be home. You can power through almost anything if you're just trying to get to the end of something. Like I can do the most unpleasant travel of my life if it means I'll get to lie down at the end of it so <laughs> like, yeah truth I, yeah I, I love that too I think that was a really nice thing to see that she's finally like yes I'm here and I'm happy about it and she's like waiting for her opera singer to turn up she's like she'll be here tonight and it makes me smile to think about it did you have anything else? Oh, I think that was it. I just, I really loved Meredith's crunches. <laughs> that was my favorite. It was like the thing I was like, oh my gosh, I love that she's doing crunches for fun. Um, Do you have in-depth marginalia? I do. So as you just mentioned, the opera singer. So page 249, Anna has just gotten home. She's come back to soap after being away, settling back into dorm life. And there's this line that says, I peek through my curtains at the restaurant across the street. No opera singer, but it's only the afternoon. She'll be back tonight. The thought mm. makes me smile. You know, we think of attraction as a physical thing, a thing with people, but it can yeah. also be certain things or certain places. And I feel like this is really a moment where we get to see how certain aspects of life, the life Anna thought she didn't want, actually does have an attraction for her. Like Paris is an yeah. attraction for her and she's like admitting that to herself through these little observations, which I really love. And I, as I mentioned, I recently went to see the film Amelie with my friend Hannah. And like this scene recalls that slice of life, that whimsical Parisianness. Because um, the central plot of Emily is sort of around these ID photos that get taken from this photo booth, then ripped up and then fall underneath. And there's this guy that collects the photos and he makes these books where he glues them back together. And then Emily finds a book and it's, you know, he wants the book back and how does she get it back to them? And it's this really whimsical thing because they both are trying to like make their lives more interesting. So they go through this whole palaver to return what, you know, what would have been a very basic return of books, but they make it into an adventure. And I just kind of love that moment of connection. And it's all about making meaning and finding moments of magic in the mundane or actually just making meaning out of your everyday life and by doing that you are making magic every day so going forward i just want to find the magic moments in every day because like as we've said many a time joy is not made to be a crumb and these are the ways we can make life more magical is just noticing these moments i love it i love that whole movie and i love that she's so scared and nervous to meet someone who might matter that she has to devise all these little stratagems <laughs> i feel you amelia i'm the same Let's just hover around something and then get airdropped into the past the first three months. That's the, but that's it's so the goal. so lovely because, you know, she finds someone who thinks about life for the same ways that she does, that also wants to romanticize things, that also wants to go on mm. little adventures, that also wants to turn what is a mundane photo booth repair guy going about his job into, oh, is he a ghost? Is he from yeah. the past? Like, it becomes a whole thing. And it's just so lovely that she gets to share that with someone else who will allow her to keep doing that rather than telling her to change. And I think that's what's the beauty of life is when you can find people who lets you do stuff, who lets you yeah. find the magic and like enables you as well. You can be your best self with them. Yeah. You can be the self you want to be with them. Which is great. I love that for us. And yeah, just find the magic in every day. What was your in-depth marginalia? Oh, mine's a little bit of a downer compared to yours. Um, On page 256, She's just realized that she's in love with Etienne Sinclair. She's just so stoked to be back in Paris. She's happy. She's feeling amazingly smug about the fact that she's walking down the Pantheon steps with these two beautiful boys and she's happy. And then she thinks about 
Bridget and she's like oh if only Bridget could see me now and then the quote that I picked was as soon as I think of Tuff I get the same stomach churning that I always do when I think about him now shame that I ever thought I, he might wait that I wasted so much time on him and I think that it's very young to be like smug about your circumstances like when you've been so hurt by someone else like she has she's like yeah see what I'm doing look at these cute boys look at me in Paris but then she's not really feeling herself so I'm wondering if like that shame comes in because she's she's having to rely on like the attractiveness of Paris and the attractiveness of St. Clair and Josh mm. to feel better about herself so like she's attractive she's feeling attractive because she's with two attractive people but that shame she still has is like is there and as far as what it reminds us in other texts I just want to make a quick distinction between like shame and guilt here so shame comes from the internal where it's like I I am not enough and guilt is like I have done something wrong so Anna is feeling like she failed here thinking that that Toph would be into her but I don't think that that's a I don't think that's something she should be ashamed of I also don't think that she actually wasted that much time it was like four months to she's fine like she doesn't need to stress out about it it really was not like I get that it's like dog years when you're a teenager but like honestly it's not that long like you had a crush on a boy for half a year you'll survive <laughs> but going forward I, I just want to remember that wasting time on something that doesn't pan out or work out how you think is actually not ever a waste at the very least it's a lesson you've learned and it can become something really beautiful like something valuable you learn about yourself one of the things that I have to remember when I'm writing is like what is this story not like what isn't it mm. and sometimes when you have an experience in your life that you're like whoa that didn't work out for me it's like oh wait that's because I'm not this kind of person which means I am this other kind of person and that's really valuable like Anna now knows something about herself and her attraction and she can grow up a little better that way so I want us to all just be gentle when we remember our younger giddy silly selves and just forgive ourselves for all the silly things we did because they were learning opportunities Oh, I love that. Yeah. And it's often through doing these things that you actually discover, as you say, oh, that's not the kind of person I am. Sometimes you don't know until you do it. 100%. <laughs> Sometimes you have no idea what it's like dating a musician until you date one and then you go, oh, no, thank you. <laughs> For example, <laughs> did you have a character to spotlight this week? I do. And I believe it's the same as your character. I'm going to spotlight <laughs> Meredith purely because that evening out would have sucked for her. That was horrific. Like she's standing there talking to the boy she likes. And then Anna comes over and is just like really rude. And then she has to watch them like grind up on each other on the dance floor. And then she has to like follow them out where they're having a drama on the sidewalk. And I don't know what happens to her because she's there with um, Rashmi and Josh at the end. But yeah, just horrific. Horrific. Poor Meredith. She deserves better. As see previous conversation. Yes. She's also my character spotlight for that reason. And also for being the best and wisest friend. I really wanted to spotlight the, the conversation she has with Anna that helps Anna to understand why Etienne and Ellie haven't broken up. And she's very insightful and she's like willing to talk about it. And like Anna's like, oh, I'm caught. She sees that I love him. And then she's like, no, she's caught up in the drama too. And I'm like, I don't think it's either of those things. I think it's Meredith actually thinking the situation through and being like, right, they're not unhappy, but they're like, not happy happy but they're happy mm. enough so it's not bad enough to leave so I think that's why and they're both this kind of personality and like that's I would say that's why they haven't broken up but they probably do need to because it's really not that great and I just love that she's able to sort of reason through this because at 17 18 that is a hard thing to sort of put your perspective to the side and look at other people from that from that way she's amazing totally totally like Meredith can recognize that she's not the main character in everything that's happening whereas I think Anna is incapable of that at this point like she like you just said oh she looks at me and she thinks I'm caught no like Meredith has her own stuff going on not everyone yeah. cares about like not everyone's a bit player in your life Anna like they're mm. the main character of their own lives like calm down 
Yeah, but Anna hasn't really learned this yet. She's still very young in that way, but Meredith has sort of transcended that youthful immaturity and has really grown into a person who's much more forgiving of others and much more considered, and I really love that. Meredith deserves a world. Meredith's amazing. Forever Meredith. Well, next week we'll be reading chapters 35 through 39 through the theme of hesitation. Something that someone might have benefited from in this section. A little <laughs> hesitation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Eddie needs to stop hesitating and Anna needs to start hesitating just a little bit. Just mm-hmm. Breaks on here, breaks off there. Well, thank you for recording with me today, Jen. It's been so lovely. That was such a good section. Thank you for sharing your perspective, which is always just wonderful. Oh, thank you for weighing in. I love to hear what you have to say. And I love you. This is always so good. Oh, I love you too. What a beautiful mm-hmm. Sunday. We'll see you next week. See ya. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. Marginally Pod is written, edited, and produced by Jen D and Jen V, with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoyed our chat, you can subscribe to Marginally Pod on your podcast platform of your choice. Your support means the world to us. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at marginaliapod.com. Our music is by Scott Buckley. For extended show notes or to find out more about us, visit us at www.marginaliapod.com.